let's let's get into the passage here tonight revelation chapter 20 and last week we finished up a few things in the first six verses talking about the millennial reign of jesus christ talked about why he would reign for a thousand years you know why not just usher in the new heaven and new earth and we just touched on a few of the many prophecies about jesus christ ruling and reigning on earth and jesus reigning over israel in that seed of david you know the government would be upon his shoulders and really saw how in his first coming yes he came as the king of the jews and he conquered sin death hell and satan and his death and resurrection but those prophecies were never literally fulfilled to say that they were would be a great stretch of things and we saw how indeed it's prophesied in the old testament that the lord would reign with a rod of iron over israel and all the more it puts the emphasis on the salvation of all of israel here at the end of the age and that remnant of israel left at the end of the tribulation all coming to christ entering into that tribulation in bodies like ours along with many gentiles as well and we see that throughout the scriptures and then the lord reigning over them and we saw how yes it will be a remnant of people we know in the tribulation especially at the end it says that men will be rarer than gold the population will be greatly whittled down through all that unfolds but we'll read it here in a bit we know at the end of that thousand years that people have multiplied like the sand of the seashore and that will be during that literal reign of the lord here on earth we know that we'll rule and reign with him in that time and the week before we talked about and looked at several scriptures of how what a glorious time indeed that will be that uh, you know if a man builds his house he'll live in that house he plants a vineyard he'll drink from that vineyard a garden that the he'll eat from that garden it's the opposite of you'll own nothing and be happy you'll own what you put your hand to and guess what you'll give glory to god in that and just saw that men you know what they'll take their weapons and they'll turn them and turn them into farming utensils they won't know they are to war but the knowledge of the lord will be throughout the earth it'll be a glorious glorious time we know god's law absolutely will be enforced but it will bring forth great fruit and joy and rejoicing but as we moved into chapter 7 and again satan is bound in the abyss for a thousand years during that time satan's not running amok and it's us again representing the lord and teaching as kings and priests we'll have an educational role so to speak and no doubt we'll be able to represent god's word and his perfect and his person in a glorious way because again we will have those glorified resurrected bodies we'll no longer have a sin nature indeed it will be a a golden age but then at that end of that thousand years and it's where we pick it up in verse seven we read that satan will be released for one last time uh in fact we'll just let's kind of work our way let's let's read verse seven to verse 10 actually let's just read down to verse 15 we'll overview this we got down to verse nine last week uh i'll go back and we'll touch on verse nine or seven through nine i want to just kind of recap that a little bit more and then go down through the end of that millennial reign of the lord satan's loose for a brief time many follow after him the lord devours them with fire and then we see satan thrown into the lake of fire along with hades along with death 
And then all of those that have been in Hades are resurrected for the white throne judgment. Names not found written in the book of life outside of faith in Jesus Christ. Yet we do see a judgment based on their works. And we'll talk about that, how the scriptures really indicate there's different levels of torment even in hell. And we'll see how the Old Testament shows us that Satan will be in the depths of it, the place where there is even a greater amount of torment for even any man that dies without faith in Jesus. So notice verse seven, and when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations. And notice how many times the word deceive comes up in this. He'll go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and he and him who sat on it from whom's face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great standing before God and books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Before we look at anything, is Jesus your Lord tonight? Can you say amen to that? Your name's in the book of life. Look, that's the most important thing in your time here on earth. That your name is inscribed in that book of life. And someone say, I don't know, am I predestined? Am I elected? Look at the only way that we know how to know who's predestined and elected. There's one requirement, call upon the name of the Lord. How do we know who's predestined? How do we know who's called? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. And I always say, if you're predestined, you'll call upon the name of the Lord. If you call on the name of the Lord, you can know that you know you're predestined. The Lord knew, what, the Lord knew ahead of time, you'd call upon the name of the Lord. And boy, there's a lot of hope in that. There's a lot of joy in that. Don't let the, de the devil take away the hope of your salvation. Again, our time here is short, but eternity will be forever and there's just great joy found knowing our names written in that book in fact we, we might touch on the verse but just to get ahead a little bit remember the lord sends out his disciples and they come back rejoicing that the demons were subjected to them in the name of jesus and jesus says i saw satan fall you know from heaven like lightning and it's where you get into symbology oftentimes the lightning bolt will be used as a symbolism of satan uh, just a little side note there but the lord says listen don't rejoice the demons are subjected to your name but rejoice that what your names are written in heaven Amen. that's a great thing to rejoice in to celebrate that your sins are washed that they're forgiven that you're in jesus christ by grace alone through faith alone and him alone to what the glory of god alone so notice back again up in verse seven that thousand years has expired that time of that millennial reign interesting word used expired and we kind of touched on that a little bit you know at last week and tried to really 
you know, consider our own lives that we all have an expiration date. You know, kind of like you buy that milk and you want to look at that date because you don't want that chunky milk, you know, going into your Captain Crunch or whatever. You, you know, it, you usually only do that once and then you start watching the date, right? And we know we have an expiration date. And it's interesting, we're looking at a lot of dates, we're looking at a lot of dispensations, we're looking at a lot of periods of time, and it's exciting to know how things are going to unfold. We got insider information that, again, it's available to all, but it's a love letter written for God's children. But we want to remember as we're looking at these things to come that we're in the present right now, and we have this day before us right now, and we all have an expiration date We'll probably talk more about this on Sunday because there in Romans it talks about, you know, that it's high time to wake up. It's high time to be about the business of God. Our time here is short. The day is coming when we can no longer work. And I just encourage you tonight to be about the business of God. It's awesome that you even came out tonight, that we're fellowshipping tonight. This is part of what God's called us to do. So God bless you guys in that. And I hope all the more you're encouraged to again be about his business and for us to remember again our life's like a vapor it's a shadow it's a hand breath i got an expiration date and oftentimes we want to say well that's way down the road we don't know that we don't know where that date you know what that date is but the lord knows but i encourage you listen in the lead up to it to be about the business of god to be abounding in the lord to be drawing near to him because our time here is so short again that thousand years it seems so long but that day will come when it comes to an end and then notice satan will be released from his prison or he'll be released from the abyss now we talked about right now again satan is running amok he's running loose he's seeking whom he can devour and so we want to know that that's the case right now in this time that we're in and this dispensation that we're in right now. So again, all the more we want to be drawing near to the Lord. We have a call not to just to be aware that the enemy runs amok, but we have a call to be proactive in it, to be a people putting on the armor of God, to be a people of prayer, to be a people of the word. And I just encourage you again tonight, if you've gotten away from that call to be engaged in spiritual warfare it's time to ramp that up again let's be found a people on our knees in prayer a people of the word a people acting on what god has called us to act on in faith can we say amen to that tonight and then notice verse eight he's going to go out and what's he going to do he's going to deceive the nations they're going to be in the four corners of the earth so again, it's going to be a remnant that goes there into the millennial reign of the Lord. But as the Lord reigns with a rod of iron, and remember we read that if someone dies at 100 years, they'll still be considered in their youth, they'll be considered like a child. So they're going to, they're going to fill the earth. You know, you'd, I'm sure if you break down the math on that, that we're looking at a population perhaps greater than what we have today they say we have eight billion today i don't know who's who's number in that and counting that all up but that's what we're told and then they're like yo there's no more room for any people you ever fly over america there's like room everywhere so the lord said be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it he didn't say except except when the population gets this high anyway that's a little side note there we do know though that the world will fill up again to the four corners of the earth it mentions Gog and Magog. We compare that to the Gog and Magog of today in Ezekiel 37, 38. I'm not going to recap that again. 
but they're going to be deceived and the deception is going to be so powerful that many of these that are on the earth they're going to gather together under satan's leading to go battle against the lord against the camp of the saints against again jerusalem against the beloved city where the lord jesus christ will be ruling and reigning from and boy it really shows us several things it shows us again that satan's deception is powerful it shows us once again when the scripture says we're not ignorant to the devices of the devil or the vices of the devil you know what he repeats the same pattern throughout the scriptures he's repeated the same patterns you know what throughout time and i'll tell you he is a liar and one of his greatest tools is deception coming and attacking the truth of god's word trying to bring forth sin and package it in a way that would appeal to men so they would they would turn from the lord and the things of the spirit of god and the word of god thinking that i'll find fulfillment in life in rebellion against god and uh, one of the lies that we see him using in every dispensation is the one that he introduced to mankind there in the garden and we talked about this a lot last week and kind of brought it up to where we are in the world right now this lie is as popular as it's ever been maybe more so now than ever and that's that lie that you can become a god look at so many cults revolve around you can become god the new age movement revolves around you can become god pantheism which i'll talk more about here in a second this idea that you can become god it is bursting forth in the world today it's even bursting forth in so much of what we would call christendom today we know there in the garden again god had told adam and eve if you eat of this tree you're going to die we told it to adam and we know that the enemy came along and what could he offer what kind of deception that he could bring to possibly get them to eat from that tree god had been nothing but good to them their life was so blissful their life was so blessed again the lord walked with them in the garden god's love was just poured out on them there was no sin there was no curse there was no death there was no disease there was no marriage counseling again they just walked together in unity what lie what deception could he possibly bring to get them to rebel against god remember he got them to question god's word did god really say if you eat of the tree you're going to die eve comes back well yeah i said you know if we eat of it or if we touch it we'll die so now she's engaged in a dialogue where they're slowly moving he's slowly moving her away from the truth of god's word and then again he comes with that great lie this great deception which was what god knows if you eat of it you won't die but he knows the day you eat of it you'll be like him you'll become a god that's the deception that he brought think about satan when he fell he wanted to ascend above the throne of god he had it all again many have argued he was god's most beautiful creation up to that minute and yet he said it's not enough i want to ascend above the throne i want to become god and so that's the deception that he brings there in the garden and then as he begins to consider that and contemplate it we know that she begins to look at that fruit oh it's good to make one wise it looks good to eat and that lust brings or that temptation and lust comes together and then she eats of the tree she gives to her husband and he eats of the tree and listen 
They became like God in the sense of knowing good from evil, but they did not become gods. Immediately a curse came upon them. Immediately that death entered in that God said would enter in. Separation from God who is holy. Physical death set again. Immediately again, they started in a process of these glorious bodies that were not marred by sin, beginning a downgrade process that, again, generation after generation, there has not been an evolving to a better place, but you could even say from man's creation to where we are, we're like devolving, you know, people, oh, we're smarter. Well, we might know more, but we're not smarter. We're on a downward trend. We absolutely are. And so that's the lie that he introduced. And you see it throughout scripture, those lies being introduced. You see again, men being called God throughout the scripture, men desiring to be God. The scriptures even talk about men serving the God of their own belly saying, I'm my God. And really, people do that even when they don't bend knee to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. I'll do what I want to do. I'll do what's right in my own eyes. That's man saying, I am my own God. I follow myself, my gut, my ideas, my feelings. And then even more than that, these lies that men can ascend to Godhead. I read the quote last week from Yuval Yuval Noah Harari, again, the chief advisor to Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. This is like their golden boy right now. He's bringing in the theology of the World Economic Forum. Many believe he's bringing in the theology of the tribulation of the Antichrist, very Antichrist and the things he promotes and peddles. One of his quotes, human history began when men created gods. It will end when men become gods. And he goes into how man has come to the point where they're taking over evolution now and we're gonna shape that and mold that and basically says we have the high ups and we're gonna control the masses. And they're trying to push this on the world and they basically say, all you, all you low lives, you know, we're the elite up here and you're just a bunch of cattle. He says, you have no even free will in it. Uh, we're gonna give you fast food and cheap entertainment just to keep you happy. And then we're going to move you around and herd you around however fits us the best. I mean, they just put this forward. But the lie is we're going to become gods. The guy probably already thinks he is a god. And this is where a lot of people, and I'm going to hit on this real quick because we've gone over this many times. This is where a lot of people go, oh man, so many lies out there in the world. But let me tell you, these lies, they've crept into much of Christianum. The new age has crept so much into, I like to use the word Christianum because Christianity has no place for the new age. In Christianity, there's one God who's revealed himself in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and that is it. And yet this idea of pantheism, and you can see how subtle Satan is in these things, that God's everywhere and everything is acceptable. And a lot of people have been taught this without even being aware of it. Others have been taught it and they're embracing it and really moving past God's word saying, well, look at, you know what? We can't really know God from this book. We need mystical experiences on higher planes where we get real revelation where we have a oneness with God and we even become God. Again, right in Christianity, real quick. 
And again, I, if, if you have your notes, turn to the back page of your notes. You got a bonus. You're like, hey, these are the same notes from last week, but they're not. You got a bonus page there. Pantheism, what's the definition? It's an unbiblical doctrine that identifies God with the universe or regards the universe as a manifestation of God. Here's the key in this. It teaches that God is everywhere and in everything, that all is God. And yet in Genesis, we know that God created. Yes, God sustains everything. And where can you run from the presence of God? But when God created, creation was not God. There was a separation in that. And we know when man sinned, absolutely, that relationship God, with God was broken. Again, when man sinned, the Lord said, the day you eat of it, you're going to surely die. Die means to be separated. And absolutely, the application was you're going to be separated from God, the giver of life. The scripture makes it so clear. When we come to Christ, yes, we get sealed with the Spirit of God. We have the indwelling of the Spirit of God within us. That doesn't make us God, but the Spirit of God comes and indwells in us and begins a good work in us that he will keep working on until that day we go to be with the Lord. But before we came to the Lord, we, God was not in us and we were not God. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. We're going somewhere with this. Notice Ephesians 2.11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, uh, called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time, notice, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, notice here, and without God in the world. We were without God. Now the Holy Spirit was convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So yes, God was active in our lives in that way. There's a manifest knowledge in us of God that Romans speaks of. Creation itself points us to God through the things created. We know there is a creator. So God was knocking hard on our hearts, but we were without God. We're outside of a relationship with God. Man did not ascend to Godhead in the garden, and we're gods now. Absolutely not this is reiterated throughout the word again when we come to christ we get united with the lord our sins are washed we enter into that relationship we get the seal of the spirit of god the indwelling of the spirit of god but before that again we weren't god we're not becoming gods and god was not in us can we say amen to that so clear in scripture this, this is basic this is stuff you learn in the good news club at least you should be learning it there the, 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 the kids back in the, in, they, should, they, they should be learning that in the toddler's class, right down the, this is basic. This is basic, the basic gospel, the bad news. We were in sin, separated from God. We're, we're not God. We came from the dust. And the Bible says after Adam sinned, he said, to the dust you will return. And again, yet it's the lie that's put out there. And I think it's the lie that will be introduced here at the end of the millennial reign because they're sitting under the glorious rule of the Lord, so blessed, so prosperous. What absolute, what could move them in this really place of paradise, very much like that Garden of Eden, to rebel against God? Well, the lie that's always worked is you can become God yourself. We can do better than what we're doing. We can overthrow God and become God ourselves. 
Again, it's being promoted in the world today. Many believe that mark of the beast will be a promise to, you know what, ascend into some sort of godhood. Talking about worshiping the image of the beast. Well, in this singularity, it's this idea of everyone kind of becoming one, like this hive situation where we're all tied into the cloud or whatever. I shouldn't say we, they are tied into the cloud. And you know what? really become part of the beast and it wasn't that the lie in the beginning become god it's almost like self-worship and and i you know what I'm, I'm not prophesying here tonight but boy it seems like that's what's on the horizon and it's easy for people to go oh man out there in the world oh yeah they're so lost out there but again these lies have so have so entered into i won't use the word christianity but i'll use the word christianum and I've touched on this before, but I just felt led to touch on it again tonight. Again, pantheism, this guy that God is everywhere and in everything is so being promoted in Christianum. It's moved so past even what I have there in your notes and some quotes in these notes from really the three most popular books in Christianum in the last 20, 30 years or so. And it's subtle in these books, but it's there. And we're called to be Bereans. We're called to test things. Especially when the one book I'll touch on has sold 50 million copies. The next one sold 40 million plus all of the spinoffs. And then the last one up to date, they say about 22 million copies. So real quick, Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. 50 million copies sold. Very recently at the Southern Baptist Convention, Rick Warren boasted that he's trained 1.1 million pastors. I looked it up. There's only 51,000 paid U.S. pastors in America. There's some some funny numbers here. The best estimate I could get in the world is 2 million in the world. Interesting, out of that 51,000, and no doubt it, they're lay pastors and labor pastors that work. So we'll just say 100,000. If we go 100,000, he says he's trained 1.1 million. Only 37% of pastors today, evangelical pastors, will preface it with that, have a Christian worldview. They They don't have a biblical worldview. They're messed up. Well, I guarantee you, part of the contribution to that is training from Rick Warren. Purpose Driven Life. Now, look at, I know probably many people in this room read Purpose Driven Life. We, we got a brother in our church that came to the Lord. He read that book. He cried out to the Lord. And then soon after that, the Lord said, well, I'm real. But what you've read here is deceit. It just shows how, again, the Lord meets people where they're at. And I don't, villain, I don't villainize anyone if they read these books or you might even have this on your bookshelf. And, you know, someone gave it to you who you thought was trustworthy and so you're not even looking at it from the view of criticism or Berean or judging what's being written there as we're called to do. Not even with a critical heart, but again, you check the milk before you drink it. How much more should we check Christian books, huh? <laughs> and again, look at 15 versions. Rick Warren used 15 Bible translations on the purpose driven life. Why in the world will you do that? He uses two Catholic versions in that book. The reason why is because he tried to find verses to fit what he wanted versus just taking a sound 
translation from the original manuscript to bring forth sound doctrine. Well, let, let me go through all these different New Age versions and so forth to bring forth what I want to be brought forth. And on page 88 of Purpose Driven Life, he deliberately chooses the New Century version. And this is a New Age version. And this is what it says. He, which is God, rules everything and is everywhere and is in everything. Page 88. Listen, this was called out in the first printing as New Age, and yet he has willfully and deliberately not changed it in every printing since then. Every copy, every, every, copy, every, every copy out of that 50 million has pantheism in it. Listen to what the New King James says. Ephesians 4, 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, a notice, and in you all. He's talking to Christians there. Again, go back to Ephesians 1. He talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit when you called upon Christ. He says you were darkness. Now you were in the light of Christ. And yet this is plucked out of context with a New Age twist that, again, God is in everything. That is pantheism. Called out. And yet 1.1 million pastors supposedly went along with it. Why does this guy get a pass? And then you could go into great depths of all the New Agers quoted and held up and just a horrendous, a book that very much appeals to the flesh of people. But theologically, it is a train wreck from the beginning to the end. And they say, well, how can 50 million copies be sold? A lot of people unsuspecting because it was promoted by someone who probably didn't do their work of really researching it. And others were drawn to it because, again, it appeals to the flesh. Full-on pantheism. Again, God rules everything, is of everywhere and in everything. Look, at before I came to Christ, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in me. And if he was in me before then, why do I need Christ now? Jesus Calling, 40 million copies sold, plus all the spinoffs. Jesus Calling for kids. Jesus Calling for young adults. Jesus Calling for seniors. Jesus Calling for women. Jesus Calling for men. The Jesus Calling mug and perfume. You know, on and on and on. Original, original edition. They've changed it since. Sarah Young, the author, says she was inspired by a book called God Calling. Complete New Age book written by two anonymous listeners. Not Christians, not believers, who had communion with demons to put forth a complete new age lie that you can be God. July 8th, page 199. She says she receives this from Jesus, that Jesus says, he is in everything, I'm above all as well, and in all that's pantheism that book doesn't even have anything near to the gospel of jesus christ there's no call to repentance there's no call to christ that book has been handed out to so many unbelievers it's basically jesus saying i want to date you i'll buy you flowers and chocolates and 
I'm gonna affirm you and every desire that you want, oh, you, you're gonna get it because you deserve it. But again, he is in all. He is not in all. These, are, these things are delivered, you need to know. This isn't a slip up. Again, she says, I got this, how they got God calling. I, I, I listened for voices and Jesus told me to write this. This is not Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. This is pantheism. And then the shack, of course, we got to get that in here. 22 million copies sold. Page 112 of the shack, quote, God who is the ground of all being dwells in, around, and through all things. Again, God dwells in all things. That's not the case. God is not in the chair you're seated in, seated in tonight. Otherwise, you could turn and you could worship God. You could turn and worship God there. Again, this is pantheism. It's the lie that he uses throughout the ages. And even in that book, you'll see every time creation, the word creation is used, it is deliberately spelled with a capital C. The idea that creation is God, that everything's God. Pantheism. He goes on to deny the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross. He says, no living God would ever crucify his son. You know, that can't be the case. Well, look, if Jesus wasn't crucified for our sins, we're all going to hell. That's the only good news. That's a false Christ. Now, again, maybe you've read these books and maybe there was an aspect of it. You didn't see these things, whatever. But we do got to judge all things. And listen, my point is, is that's always been his major push. You're God, you can become God. How in the world is he going to deceive the nations who are so blessed under the reign of Christ? Again, we're not ignorant to his schemes. We see his schemes in the word. At the beginning, we see his schemes even at Babel where they're like, we're gonna go and overthrow God. You see it, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm God, you know, I'm never gonna be moved from my spot. And it's today by the high ups, we are going to become God. Newsflash tonight, we're not God. God is God. And praise God, God sent his son to die on the cross. He rose from the grave that whoever calls on him will be forgiven and a right standing with God and will worship him as God, will glorify him as God and we will commune with God forever and ever and ever and ever, amen. So he's gonna go out and deceive the nations. I'm already at 20 tell here, man. I'm, oh well, I'm gonna be obedient. He's gonna go out and deceive the nations they're going to gather together to battle sand as, as the sand of the sea. Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth, surrounded, notice, the camp of the saints. And we touched on this last week. Look, Satan's number one target is always the camp of the saints. It's not some political party. It's not some, you know, subgroup. It's always the camp of the saints. We got the good news. We got the news that saves souls. He's going to attack that. And the beloved city, Jerusalem, where Christ will reign from. And what happens? Look at it. It's not, this just gets nipped in the bud. They gather together. Again, a short time of Satan gathering together. And it's just like, I look at that like before they can even pull out a weapon, fire just comes down and devours them like we're you know we've done this so many times where this is just going to be you made your choice we're ending this right now and once again what do we see we see are you ready for it god wins 
And we talked about it last week. It also just shows the depravity of men and men to have the audacity to say we're gods. It proves that even a perfect and peaceful environment can't produce a perfect heart. They're still in rebellion. Again, a lie today. We're just gonna make, we're gonna tear everything down and we're gonna build it up. We're gonna have a perfect, peaceful environment. No more of that nasty gasoline, you know. We're, we're, we're gonna, you know, all be one, a kumbaya circle. And Look at, there's gonna be no greater time in the history of the world since the fall of man than this time. And yet, these men still listen, the bulk of them listen to the lies of the devil, which again, I think it will be, you can be God, but what other things better than what they have? And those things can't produce a perfect heart. The law of God will be enforced greatly in that time. Remember, they don't come up for the feast of booths or tabernacles. No rain comes to where they are for a year, any family. But the law can't produce, again, a righteous soul. It just shows us once again, there's only one thing that can make us right before God. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And what, it's what God has done for fallen men. And God taking on the form of a man, living a sinless life, dying for us on the cross, resurrecting from the grave, that whoever calls upon him will be saved. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Notice verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever. We saw the beast and false prophet. They don't even go to the abyss at the end of the tribulation. They go right into the lake of fire. And we touched on where many believe that perhaps these are those Nephilim that are spoke about in Genesis and times past because they're subject to that lake of fire. It's almost like you're not human to be at that great white throne judgment, you're going right into the lake. A lot of speculation on that. It will work itself out. Don't rabbit trail too hard. You know what, thinking about it, it's worthy to be thought about. What we do know for sure is they go right into the lake of fire. And then the devil, after that thousand years, gets out, deceives. Again, that word deception comes up over and over and over and over and over again in scripture. Let's be grounded in God's word. He who is spiritual judges all things. There's unrighteous judgments. It ain't a call to go around and be Joe Critic and you know what, try to, oh, you know, what's this guy about, what not. But to judge fruit and to judge doctrine, starting with our own. What's my life, you know what, producing? Where's my walk with the Lord? What's my doctrine? Am I standing in the fundamentals of faith or am I being slowly, you know, brought over to the lies that are so infiltrating Christendom today. He's a deceiver. And yet, again, he'll be cast into that, notice, lake of fire and brimstone. It's a place of torment. We've talked a lot about it in the study in Revelation. I have scriptures again for you. I'm not gonna read them tonight. The Lord talks about, again, this place where the fire is never quenched. Now, there's a way out of that. That's through faith in the Lord who took the wrath to us. But if you don't want him, if we're not forgiven, then we're under condemnation. And if we die in that sin, and again, a lot of people don't want to hear this, the 
doctrine of hell is under great attack today. You know, a loving God would never send anyone to hell. A loving God sent his son to die for your sins. That's what the loving God did. And if he is refused, then a lake of fire and brimstone awaits. Yes, that's not good news. That's bad news, but it is good news what God has done and we should rejoice in our Lord in that. And absolutely, before we come to our expiration date here on earth, we want to be about the business of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be about the business of praying for people's souls. Now, real quick, we know that Satan again gets thrown into that fire. Notice Isaiah 14, verse 15. This is speaking of Lucifer. Satan, it gives detail of his fall. He says, yet you shall be brought down to shield to the lowest depths of the pit. And those who will see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook the kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of the prisoners? This, this is him? This is the one that deceived the nations? This guy right here? It shows what a powerful liar that he is and how deceitful he is. Because they're going to look at this, this is it. Notice, though, he's in the lowest depths of hell. There's an extra torment there, the fire's hottest there. Notice verse 11 Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, and we know this is the Lord, absolutely got supporting verses there you guys can check out from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and so how interesting heaven and earth they flee away they flee away from the face of the lord i was thinking about this again they're fleeing away from the face of the lord we know that we're going to be in the presence of the lord and no doubt hell will be eternity under the wrath of God, but absolutely not in fellowship with God, like we'll have fellowship with God looking at the face of God in admiration of God, hear this, forever with a perfect contentment. You know, hey, we've been doing this for a thousand years, do we got something else going on here? No, a perfect contentment and perfect fellowship with our God forever but heaven and earth they flee away and then those that are in the abyss again there's no place for them to go and now they're before god at this white throne judgment and look at there's so many scriptures that clearly show us that that current abyss or hell it's it's in it's it's down under the earth Well, let's dig down to hell. Well, I think they've dug eight miles and that's like the lowest they can get. <laughs> but you see this in scripture and this heaven and earth, as we know, they're fleeing away. So look at now they're just there and they're before the throne of God. And it is a second resurrection for them. They do get bodies and their names aren't written in the book of life and they're in a body that's tormented in the lake of fire forever. Again, the Lord makes that very clear in his teachings. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. I want to read verse 13. 
The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one according to the works. This seems to be a repeat of what's said in verse 12. Some look at this as 13, just giving more detail to verse 12. Others have proposed that verse 12 is referring to those who die at the end of that last dispensation, at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. Small and great, again, no partiality with God. God's not impressed with, hey, you know, these guys that are great, let's just let them through the back door into heaven. God's not like men. But they die without faith. And then these books are open containing a record of their works, of their choices, of their actions. And whether it's that group and then the next group, it's really a mood point. We know that everyone who dies outside of Christ is gonna be at this white throne judgment outside of the beast and the false prophet. And this is where they're gonna give an account for every idle word that they speak. Jesus said that in Matthew 12, 36. And very interesting here, again, their names aren't written in the book of life, so they are going to that lake of fire. Verse 15 tells us that. And again, if they were in the book of life, they would have been part of that first resurrection. So it's not like, oh man, we forgot. Boy, you've been a thousand years in the abyss. We, we looked over your name. No, there's gonna be none of that. Oh, we made a big mistake here. God don't make those mistakes. But it is interesting, again, their, their lives will be judged according to their works. And we just talked about Satan being in the bottom of Sheol or the bottom of that pit. And it's interesting, Jesus talks about those cities that he went to and he performed miracles before them and he taught them and yet they rejected the Lord. And notice Matthew eleven twenty two. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done and you had been done in Sodom, it would remain to this day. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And so, Lord, it makes it very clear that in hell, it, it's going to be more tolerable for some than others. Now, that, that's not saying, oh, good, man, hopefully you know, I'll do a lot of good stuff. I don't want Jesus, but I'll do a lot of good stuff. So hell will be kind of tolerable. That's not what is being said here. But what's being said here is that, again, I think it's real clear, the more of a witness you have of Christ, the more opportunity you have to come to Christ, and the more you reject him, the more hell will be a place of torment. Because Jesus rolled through those cities, they saw him firsthand. He also said those cities would be barren, you know, it would never be rebuilt. Look at if you go to the Israel trip with us in 23, Lord willing, we go to these places and guess what? There's ancient ruins, there are no, there's no people living there. Just as prophesied by the Lord. Think about that Sodom, how wicked Sodom was. And yet he says in, in that judgment, it will be more tolerable for those in Sodom and hell than for you. And it seems again, this book of life has a record of people's lives. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to 
his own works. Now again, Revelation 26, we read this a few weeks ago. Blessed and holy is he who has part of the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Again, in Christ, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. We'll be part of that first resurrection which started with Jesus resurrecting from the dead three days after he was crucified as he said that he would. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. And if he didn't resurrect, no one's resurrecting. Can you believe there's churches that say they're Christian and they go, oh, but Jesus didn't resurrect. Like, what are you guys doing? This is not a church. Paul said, if he didn't resurrect, we are the most pitiful people on the face of the earth. We should eat, drink, and be merry if Christ did not resurrect. But guess what? He resurrected. And we know when a believer dies, their spirit goes to be with the Lord. Their body returns to the earth. It returns to dust. But when the Lord comes back, we know those dead in Christ will come back with them in spirit. Their bodies will be resurrected and mortality will be swallowed with immortality and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air will be changed in the twinkling of an eye we will no longer have a sin nature we'll have a resurrected body like christ it's going to be great the older you get the louder your amens get when it comes to that kind of stuff Because you're like, I'm ready, I'm ready, Lord. You know, the teenagers run around like, yeah, we love Jesus, but I'm healthy. And then, you know, the more, oh, that bad, oh, Lord, come now. (laughs) Verse 14, and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So again, no more death, no more Hades, just all that rebellion in the lake of fire interesting is first corinthians 15 goes into great detail about the resurrection notice first corinthians 15 25 for he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy that will be destroyed is death and at the end of the millennial reign of christ it's not only satan in the lake of fire everyone who rejected christ in that lake of fire but hades is in that lake of fire and death itself is in that lake of fire I mean, like a Grim Reaper guy going around, oh, just death into that lake. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more Hades. We'll get into this in the weeks to come where these last two glorious chapters of Revelation, look at it, every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no sorrow. No, all those things that came with the curse, none of those anymore. And then notice verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Please don't downplay that tonight. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ that we're reading here tonight. This is what some guy named John, you know, wrote up there on an island, Patmos. No, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Blessed are you that's part of that first resurrection. The second death has no power over you. But if your name's not written in the book of life and you die in that state, you'll stand before God, go to the abyss. At the end of the millennial reign, you'll stand at that white throne judgment. 
Yes, your works will be judged, but your name's not written in that book and you will go into the lake of fire and it won't be where you cease to exist. It is an eternal torment. Again, going back there to Satan, it says they're tormented day and night forever. Again, in a resurrected, a type of resurrected body. This isn't a riddle. This isn't, well, how do we explain this away? Because a loving God wouldn't do this. It shows all more how much loving our God is that Jesus took the wrath to us upon the cross of Calvary. Again, that lie, a loving God would never send any men to hell. That loving God sent his son. While we were in gross rebellion against God. Not just to die for, you know what, the sinners that are good guys, but for the most vile sins ever committed. And the most vile sinners. And listen, sin, sin to God. And that same loving God then convicts us with his Holy Spirit. Puts a manifestation of the knowledge of him in us. It says he puts a knowledge of eternity in us. Through creation, we know there's a creator through the word of God. Through Christ, the light of the world coming into the earth. It's, it's a wooing from God over and over and over again, but he'll never force himself on you. He says, you get to choose. Will you respond to that conviction? Will you respond to that calling of the Lord? Or will you say, no, I'll be my own God. I'll do as I will. I'm going to serve the God of my belly. I'll do what's right in my own eyes. I ain't going to yield to Jesus Christ, to God Almighty. And that's what it comes down to. It is that or it is, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Forgive me, wash me, be my God, be my Lord. It's A or B. And I'll tell you, that choice, God will honor it forever. So if you have not, you need to come to Christ today. You got an expiration date. I'm gonna go home, where's that Where's that expiration date? Oh, maybe it's on the inside of the bottom of your foot, you know, on, on your, the, your big toe or something. I don't know, but God does know. And we are not promised tomorrow. Like, oh, well, I didn't come here to hear bad news. Well, then listen, there's good news of what Jesus has done. Otherwise, what it is, it's just news. Just news, but it's good news. Hey, we got to the end of chapter 20. You didn't think we were going to make it, right? Neither did I, but we did. Is that because we made it? Or it's like, hey, now he's going to shut up, so I'm going to clap. Anyhow, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you and praise you. We just thank you that you are so good. I, I just thank you that you are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. God, let us be found a people abounding in you, standing in truth. Lord, proclaiming truth and love with a heart and concern for the lost, with a heart and concern for one another. And above all, Lord, with, with the hearts that would want to give praise to our Lord. God, to be fundamental and steadfast in the day that we are in. Living for you, abounding in you, God. Walking in the joy of the Lord, no matter even what comes our way. Bless your people tonight, God. 
And if you're here this evening, you haven't called upon the Lord. Yes, you've heard bad news, but listen, it makes the good news good. Jesus, Jesus stands ready to wash you, forgive you, to receive you unto himself. Humble your heart, ma'am. If you have not, humble your heart and call on the Lord. It's so clear in the word, whoever calls upon the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is a yielding to self. I, won't, I am not God. I'm not gonna be my own God. Jesus, you are a Lord. You died for me. Be my Lord. Be my God all of my days. He will meet you where you're at. We thank you for this time. God bless these saints here tonight. Lord, our fellowship right now, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name, and we sit together. Amen. God bless you guys.